Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. Well, we are in a series called Core, and over the last several weeks, we've had this vase up here, and we said it kind of pictured the way that God brings transformation into our lives. When we talk about transformation on an ongoing basis, it's often kind of a conceptual, abstract idea, but we said the way that transformation works is the same way you get air out of the vase. That rather than hooking some kind of machine up to it, getting your lips over the top of that thing and sucking it out with your lungs, which would be not effective, the best way to get air out of the vase is actually to pour water into it. And as the water displaces the air, the air is naturally pushed out. And so the paradigm for transformation that many of us have is maybe I've got to stop doing this, and I've got to start doing this. Certainly that enters into the picture, but we said that the greater paradigm that God has in mind for the way that we change is not that we, by effort, pull stuff out of our vase, out of our lives, but that we actually, by faith, pour his truth into our lives, and as we do that, what should be pushed out naturally gets pushed out. And so we've said many times, we strive and we strain, but instead, as we've looked at Ephesians 1, we're, we're going through some of these core doctrines of the Christian faith, the core things that we believe, and looking not just how they, what they are intellectually, but how does that force out what's in our lives and bring transformation as we focus on the beauty of who God is. We're going to continue that this morning as we look into Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to ask Leah to come, and she's going to read verses 15 through 23. Uh, When she reads verses 15 through 23, you're going to hear that her first three words are, for this reason. And so those first three words go back to verses 1 through 14, what we've already looked at in the previous verses. And in those verses, Paul is talking about the work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He wants our lives to be filled with the beauty, the richness of who God actually is, rather than sort of maybe the dull perceptions of what we naturally have of who God might be. We're going to review some of that later this morning, but Leah is going to read Ephesians 1, 15 through through 23, and these are the verses we're going to be looking at this morning. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised 
Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything. Thank you, Leah. Uh, we're going to dive in, first look at a couple of preliminary things. Uh, in the beginning, you'll hear maybe some stuff that sounds a little bit theoretical and abstract, uh, but toward the end, we're going to try to dive in as concretely as we can uh, to the way that God brings transformation and changes our lives. Verse 15 and 16, here's what it says. For this reason, again, we talked about those three words. Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayer. Just before we get rolling here, notice Paul connects their faith in the Lord and their love for all God's people. In other words, the way that we even have love for other folks is not necessarily to kind of like pull out our laziness or pull out our dislike of people, pull out our annoyance with other people, but instead the way that we actually cultivate love for other people is actually when the love of God gets poured into our lives. We love others as our love for God becomes more deep and more rich. Just a couple of weeks ago, we received a, a little note from the Kemp family, from Kia Kemp. And if you're on one of our mailing lists, our e-prayer, you have probably seen prayer requests from the Kemp family. Maybe if you're on helping hands, we have people who make meals for others or help others move. And so Kia was simply expressing on behalf of the family their thankfulness for prayers, for meals, for service to their family over a pretty challenging series of, of years. Here's what she said. She said, it's been an absolute honor to attend and serve at our church. Southridge is such a beautiful community, and I've landed in the comfort of your arms more times than I can count. Thank you for all the prayers, all of the meals, all of the referrals, all of the manpower, all the times you all just listened. I know that my family seems to be constantly hit with challenges, but we have had many, way more blessings. There's been more laughter than tears. I am happy that we've been able to share good and bad with you and share your love, support, and encouragement. Thank you for all of your kindness and your love. That note just encourages my heart. Why? Because it's also an expression that love for others flows out of our love for God. Paul says, I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. Those two things go together. Our faith in who Christ is, his work, seeing life from his perspective, flows out into love for other people. Live referenced the giving report so far year to date. We're incredibly thankful for the generosity of this congregation. And my prayer is that's a reflection of your love for God. Your love, your faith in him generates generosity. It generates giving. 
This morning and every morning as I even walk maybe a couple times between my office and the auditorium here, I see families kind of lined up handing babies or children over to those serving in our nursery. Our activity center has volunteers, a student center, volunteers, a lower level, volunteers serving children, students, adults. That's, that is serving is an expression of loving others. Serving, giving, teaching, all of that, leading a group is an expression of our faith in Christ that's expressed in loving others. It's fueled by faith in Christ. It's fueled by God's love for us. Later this afternoon, we'll have child dedication. There'll be babies dedicated, some children who are a little bit older. All of them have been invested in by others who have served who have loved this congregation, who have loved people born out of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul goes on. He says this in Ephesians 1, 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Paul prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. Notice that Paul references each person of the Trinity in that short verse. He references God the Father. He references the Lord Jesus Christ. He references the Holy Spirit. All of them together, he references and asks that God would enrich our lives in knowing and understanding them better. We said last week, and I want, kind of want to review this again, number one, because I forgot it in a couple services, uh, but also because so oftentimes we talk about the Trinity and it kind of makes little sense or no sense, and we kind of move very quickly past it. Last week we said, the Father initiates. The Father initiates. The Father plans for creation. The Father dreams the vision of creation. The Father plans for redemption. The Father plans for his fallen creation to belong back to him once again. The Father initiates. The Father is not grumpy. He's not distant. He's not boring. He's not dull. He's not monotonous. He's not tedious. He's not humdrum. He's not uninteresting. He's not detached. That's often the associations we have of the Father. No, the Father's not detached. He's not humdrum. He's not tedious. He's not boring. He's not dull. He's packed full with excitement and action as he plans, as he initiates creation, as he dreams for your creation into this world, as he dreams for your redemption, for you to belong once again to him. He dreams of that. He's anything but dull. He's anything but tedious. It says he's the glorious father. It might better be said, he's the father who acts gloriously. He's the father who does glorious things. In other words, his personality is actually expressed in what he does. And it's glorious, it's good, it's mind-blowing. His work of rescuing, redeeming, saving, creating, renewing, transforming. He's a God who's glorious. Next, let me just say this. We've also referenced some of our, what's in our statement of faith. Here's what we say about the person of God. What we believe about God. We believe in the personal existence of God. 
The creator who is infinite and perfect and has chosen to reveal himself to mankind through creation, his son, his spirit, and his word. God sustains his creation and orders the affairs of people and nations according to his sovereign wisdom and eternal plan. One God exists in a community of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all of whom possess the attributes of God and are equally God. The Father initiates. Next we said, the Son accomplishes. The Son accomplishes. The Son executes what the Father has initiated and planned. So the Son brings about the actual creation of the world. The Father initiates it. The Father dreams it. The Father plans it. Out of his love, out of his glorious nature, the Son executes. He accomplishes it. He also accomplishes the act of redemption. He comes to the earth in the person of Jesus. He's, he's born in flesh in Bethlehem's manger. He's crucified on the cross. He's buried in a tomb. He ascends to heaven. He becomes human. He executes the plan of redemption. He accomplishes that for us. Here's what we say about what we believe about Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus Christ is fully God and became fully human through the miraculous process of the virgin birth. Jesus taught and embodied God's truth. Jesus lived a sinless life and voluntarily satisfied God's justice by making full payment of sin's penalty through death on the cross. Jesus physically rose from the dead, ascended, and is now enthroned in heaven as ruler over all things and mediates for those who believe in him. He will return to consummate his kingdom by establishing the new heaven and new earth. So Jesus is the one who accomplishes the plan of the Father. He brings about redemption. One day he'll bring about a new creation, full reconciliation, full transformation. Jesus the Son will bring that about. He's the one who accomplishes that. There's also the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, we said... Activates. The Spirit activates. The Father initiates. He comes up with a plan. The Son accomplishes. He executes. The Spirit actually activates, breathes to life the, what the Son accomplishes or what the Son executes. And so the Son pays the price, pays the penalty of evil and wickedness so that we can belong to God, but it's the Holy Spirit that actually makes us the children of the living God. It's actually the Holy Spirit that works in our lives to bring about the beautiful purposes that God envisions in our lives. It's the Holy Spirit who breathes the new life of God's creation into us. Here's what we say about the Holy Spirit, what we believe about the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit is fully God. The Holy Spirit is active in convicting the world of sin and applying the saving work of Jesus Christ to the lives of those who repent of their sin. The Holy Spirit indwells every believer at the time of their salvation. The Holy Spirit also comforts followers of Jesus, assures them of salvation, empowers the process of sanctification, being made like Christ, promotes the unity of the body, guides believers in the truth, and brings glory to God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all active, all at work. And Paul says, for this reason, 
I'm praying for you. For this reason, I'm delighted to see God's purposes worked out in your life. Now, here's the deal. The work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Paul, what Paul is saying is our belief in what God is doing the one being in three persons is not just sort of an academic check mark in what we believe, but instead, the work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit should animate our beings. It should cause us to come alive. It makes us alive to who God is, how he's at work in the world, as well as our personal lives. Maybe, just, maybe this will help if I explain it like this. I have a family member who recently started waitressing some tables out in the Lancaster area. And it was kind of interesting to see that happen. And a note was sent to some family members, hey, I'm going to be waitressing at this restaurant. If you want to stop by, I would love to see you and connect. And so some of my family members did. And and here's what happens. As soon as you know somebody who's there, a waiter or a waitress, right away, that personal knowledge of the person who's serving you actually animates how you function in that environment. Some of you maybe have children in sporting events. Uh, My guess is you probably didn't really give a lick for that sporting team before your child played. And when your child moves on and is done playing for that sports team, you'll probably move on as well. The only thing that animates your interest in the sports team is your connection with your child. That's what animates it. Uh, this last spring, I stopped to get gas here at a local gas station and you know, pulled up and said hi to the guy. And when he came back and I paid and we had some more interaction, he said, like, hey, you're Nathan from Southridge. He said something to that effect. And like suddenly I was like, wow, like, okay, like, you know me. And, and so we actually had a little bit of a conversation. He actually is an educator that works in Jersey City. And uh, during the late spring and summer months, he, works, he worked at a local gas station, almost just to put himself in an environment of, of connecting with people and, uh, and, and exposing himself and being part of, of a of community and a work environment that he's often not a part of. And, but, but when I knew who he was, that he came to Southridge, suddenly that animated my relationship with him. Like it, it changed the whole dynamic of what it meant to interact with the, with the guy pumping the gas because now that relationship was animated by the fact, I know this guy. He knows who I am. It animates that relationship. What Paul is saying is, your knowledge of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit animates who you are. It animates how you, are, how you live in this world. Our world is animated by lots of things. I think this week, later on, couple days, I don't know which ones, is Amazon Prime days. Is that right? They get like better deals and stuff? Like, like, trust me, a lot of our culture is animate. Wow, like I can get more stuff for less money. That animates people. They're animated on Black Friday. They'll trample people. They'll break down doors because getting something for nothing animates people. Acquiring more possessions, it animates them. We got some, you know, donuts out there this, this, this morning. That can animate some of us. Like, I need some donuts to satisfy my cravings. It animates us. There are a lot of things that, that if you're 
not living under a rock. You know that Taylor Swift and uh, Travis Kelsey, like literally is animating our country. I'm like, man, like, like how, what kind of small lives do we live that we vicariously need to live through superstars or people that make a lot of money or popular people that somehow when we, we kind of like love to follow them in, in our own little maybe dull, boring lives are animated by vicariously living through them. See, that's the kind of stuff that animates us. It wakes us up. And none of those things are, are bad things, understand? Like there can be good gifts to enjoy. But what Paul is saying is knowing the work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that should animate you. Like now you know the God who created this world. Now you know who your creator is. Now you know who's at work in your life. It animates you when you know that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're initiating a work in your life and in our world. The Son is accomplishing a work in your life and in our world. The Spirit is taking an action. He's activating the work of Father and Son in your life. It animates you. You're alive to it. It spurs you on. Paul says this in verses 18 and 19. And by the way, as I read these verses, maybe just keep this in mind as well. Uh, this afternoon we have child dedication, and, and maybe you're a parent and of a child getting dedicated. Maybe you're a parent of some other kids. But what would it look like for you to pray some of these words for your family members? A lot of times people don't know where, how to pray or where to begin, what that looks like. What would it look like if you prayed these words for your spouse? What would it look like if you prayed these words for your children? What would it look like if you prayed these truths for your friends, for your nieces, for your nephews, for people in your group, for people that you serve with? If you want to start somewhere with praying, why not just borrow the Apostle Paul's prayer? He prays another prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 that I, I just love incredibly. But here's also one where he prays. And so, so what would it look like for you to, to borrow this prayer from the Apostle Paul and pray it over your family? What would it look like for your kids to actually hear you verbally praying this over them? What would it look like for your spouse to actually hear you praying this over them? What would it look like for your friends to actually hear you praying this over them? Here's what he says. I pray that the eyes of your heart, interesting that our hearts have eyes, obviously speaking metaphorically, may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glory and his inheritance in his people. And it's incomparably great power for us who believe. Notice he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. He's talking about, may the eyes of your heart, may the core essence of your being, may it be animated, may it be enlightened by who God is, by the hope that he's called you to, by the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, by his incomparably great power. May you be animated by that. May the eyes of your heart, may, may what moves in your being, may that be enlivened, awakened, animated to the work of God and who he is. It's an incredibly powerful prayer. The tense there, when he talks about being enlightened, 
The tense of the verb is something that's it's continuously ongoing. It's an action that is continuous ongoing results, has a point of beginning, but it's also a continuing state of lasting significance. Uh, the way that this works, maybe we'll take a week to look at this coming up. Even in Ephesians 1, you find out that Paul speaks in different ways of our redemption. He says, he says at one point, you were redeemed. So yes, there's a point in time in which by the work of Jesus Christ, the Son, God, through the Holy Spirit, makes you his son and daughter through faith in Jesus. That's the a point of redemption where now you belong as God's son and God's daughter. Paul also talks about the fact that you will be redeemed. In other words, there's something that's still going to happen that's in the future where, yes, even though you're God's son, you're his daughter, uh, you're not fully transformed. You're not fully redeemed. And in the middle of that, from point A to point B, there's this continuously ongoing enlightening of your heart for you to be able to receive the work of God's spirit in your life to enlighten and animate your life to become more like Christ. In verse Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. That's past tense. Ephesians 1.14, the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are. See the tenses? He says, you have redemption until the redemption. That's past, that's future. But in between, your heart is constantly enlightened, constantly animated by the person of who God is, his, his work in your life. There's something that animates you. What animates you? What brings you life? He says that he wants us to be animated or enlightened by three basic things. The hope to which he has called you. The confidence that there's a final destination that God has for your life. The confidence that God will complete his grand and full purposes. He's not going to leave anything undone. God will bring to completion the work of redemption that he began in your life. He will bring you to 100% unadulterated renewal. He will do that. That's the hope to which he has called you. He says the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Notice it doesn't say our inheritance of what belongs to God it actually says the riches of God's inheritance that he has in having you. I don't know how that works, but God is honored and glorified and he takes great delight in the riches of you belonging to him. That's crazy, friends. That's mind-blowing. There is something about God having you that gives him great delight. This work of redemption and renewal, even in the broken world that we have, there's something in that that gives God great delight. The hope, the riches, and his incomparably great power for us to believe. That his power is at work. The power of his truth intersects with our beings as we have faith in what he says, as we have faith in his truth, as we have faith and belief 
And what the Father initiates, the Son accomplishes, the Spirit activates. As we have faith in that, God's power is at work to bring us from the point of redemption to the point of full redemption in the future. And in between, his power is at work in our lives. Verses 19 through 21, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present, but also in the one to come. We'll probably look at some of those verses in the following one uh, later, a little bit later on. But for now, we, just, we talked a lot about sort of conceptually how this works. Let's get really concrete and practical. So, so what does that look like in your life? What does it look like in my life? I'll maybe give an illustration from my own life that's maybe I'm not too proud of, but I'll give it anyway uh, to kind of get you, maybe can, it'll help you for your heart to be enlightened by God's spirit as to what God wants to do in your life. I mentioned before periodically, I think I mentioned once before that I grew up in a home and very, very blessed. We uh, grew up in a Christian home. And so there was never any foul language, never any obscenities in my family, uh, never spoke any of those words growing up. Uh, during college for a full year and for part-time for a couple of years, I worked at a lumber company. And uh, lumber companies can be pretty rough environments. I don't know what they are like in modern times. This is probably, you know, 30 years ago or so. Um, but it was, I've been on lots of construction sites, heard lots of construction jokes, uh, worked loading trucks, putting orders together for building homes, all that kind of stuff. And in a lumber yard and in construction sites, pretty much every other word is a four-letter word. It's just kind of like the way it is. And, you know, I, I never had spoken that language. But kind of later on in life, and even in the present, um, I can get into spaces where I get in sort of a cynical, almost like a negative mood, and those words just like go through my mind like free-flowing water. Except I shouldn't use water because water's cleansing and it's not cleansing. I mean, like, and I'm not talking the like save like gosh and darn letter. I'm talking like the real stuff, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and because I'm a pastor, I really can't let those words come out of my mouth uh, for the sake of my job and example and all that kind of stuff. And, and I just realized maybe in the last year, maybe, yeah, probably in the last year, I'm like, man, like I feel like the Holy Spirit enlightened my heart that, Nathan, if you're just restraining from saying those words, that is not filling your vase. That's behavioral modification. That's determining not to say them which is probably helpful that I don't. But what is it in my heart where my response to maybe something that's happening negative around me isn't one of embracing it for the glory of God, but my response in my heart, even though it's not in my words, is literally a response of vulgarity, anger, cynicism, 
and I don't know what other word I want to use, it's, what's happening in my heart isn't like embracing the beautiful plan of God for my life. What's happening in my heart is disdain for the stuff that, does that make sense? And so, quite honestly, for quite a while, I'm okay with, yeah, I know that stuff's in my head, and that's my natural response, but like, hey, I don't say it, so I'm good. Like, no, I'm not good. Because I'm simply not letting what's actually in my vase come out. But how can the truth of the gospel actually cause what's in my vase to be different so that rather than having a litany of and a torrent of four-letter words just kind of be inside of my being, how can I have faith in the gospel and the work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to the extent that rather than responding in vulgarity and cynicism, I actually respond with being animated by the beauty of God is at work here somewhere. Does that make sense? Because if those words are going through your head but not out of your mouth, the, the response of your being, even though it's not in your behavior, the response of your being is not one of praising, glorying, and honoring the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's actually detesting the work of the Father who's allowing certain events into your life. The Spirit isn't activating your love for the beauty of who God is. Instead, it's your own inward bentness that is bent in on itself that sort of detests what's happening. I'm not focused on the hope to which God has called me. I'm not focused on the riches of his glorious inheritance. I'm not aware of his incomparably great power. And so when, I'm, when those words go through my mind and my being, it's actually a violation of the beautiful work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in my life and in the world. Rather than being animated, enlivened by this, I'm animated and enlivened by my personal cynicism, angerness, bitterness, whatever it is for what's happened. And so that's just a really specific as to something in my life that, how do I get this? Number one, it takes the work of the Holy Spirit to even say like, oh man, like, yeah, the words aren't coming out of my mouth, but I'm not a, like, we're not about behavioral modification. We're about what's in the vase being transformed. And so first the Holy Spirit needs to just enlighten my eyes to say like, wow, like, yeah, I'm not saying the words, but this is what's in my being. Like, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Then the work of the Holy Spirit says, okay, like, what's in your being is not, your being isn't revolving around a glorious father. It's not about his glorious riches. Periodically now, and I don't mean this in a hokey, weird, super spiritual way, but sometimes I, I try to get through my mind and my being, honor, praise, and glorify the Lord. Honor, pray, like instead of those four, honor, praise, and glorify, honor, praise, and glorify, honor, praise, you glorify. Like I literally try to have that soak into my being. Kind of with this in the background of, of knowing and sensing what God is doing. 
Maybe another one. I read a note from Kia Camp uh, earlier. Uh, what kind of catalyzed her sending that note to our congregation is that her brother recently passed away. I think her brother was 49 years old. I had the privilege of being with the family in his last moments in the ICU unit at uh, Hunter Medical Center. And uh, her brother had had pretty significant lung issues for many years. And thankfully, in God's sovereignty, allowed him to live in many years with medication and other things that doctors helped him with. But I went down there on a Monday morning, probably two or three weeks ago, and spent time with the family, uh, praying beside his bed in ICU, and eventually, I think by one o'clock in the afternoon, he passed away. And so I was able to be there in some of the final moments of his life. Um, but and kind of an image that I'll, I, I won't ever forget, I don't, don't think, is, is standing beside the bed, and I can still see the bed here, and her brother literally taking some of his last breaths. And Kia's mom and her brother's mom is huddled over her brother, Tyrone. And death is tragic, it's hard any time, but when a parent loses a child, there's particular levels of pain in that. And so Kia's mom and Tyrone's mom is literally, I can see her cradling his head in her arms. Last moments of his life last breaths that he's about to take, just cradling Tyrone's head in her arms, telling him how much she loves him. And then she repeated this phrase probably four or five times, and I won't forget it. She says, God, don't make mistakes. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make mistakes. And I could tell that this woman believed that from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet. That yes, this is painful. Yes, there's probably something in her vase that wants to disdain God, complain about his sovereignty in her son's life as his life ebbs away at 49 or so years old. And there's something probably in her that is tempted to be disdainful and resentful. But instead, she's locked in to the glorious riches of God's grace. And she reminds herself, God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make mistakes. In other words, no matter what happens to my son as I cradle his head in my arms, I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not going to be resentful. Because God doesn't make mistakes. I don't know what you're metaphorically cradling in your arms these days. But for some of you, probably bitterness and resentment and anger is kind of right there. And so the question for you is, okay, are you just going to like stuff that? Are you just going to pretend that it's not there? Are you just going to make sure nobody sees that it's there? Is it going to fill your being and rot your soul? Meanwhile, your words are still kind and nice, or are you going to let the foundational truths of a glorious father, a son who 
accomplishes the work of redemption. The Holy Spirit who's actively involved. Are you going to let the work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit push into your life to push out the other junk and the other stuff that's there? See, that's the work of continuously being enlightened. That's the work of continuously being redeemed. That's the work of continuously being transformed. Because you have greater faith in the truth of who God is than you do faith in your own perceptions, your own narrative of what you might believe. I'm going to ask our team to come out and we're going to sing the song, More Like Jesus. The work that God is doing in every one of us as followers of Jesus is to make us just a little bit more like him. We sang a song earlier about grapes being crushed, about wine being made. It's a metaphor, as Liv said, about God's transformation. Often that's painful. And so as we sing the song, may God enlighten the eyes of your heart. May the eyes of your heart be enlightened to see what God's doing in your life. Where thoughts that maybe you just allow, thoughts, maybe your thoughts are, I'm never going to get it. Maybe your thoughts are, it works for everybody else, not me. Maybe your thoughts are, sounds good, just doesn't work. Like those thoughts themselves need to be intercepted by the work of God's Holy Spirit and transplanted with the truth of who God is. That his love is toward you. That his redeeming hand is at work in your life. That his spirit is enlivening you and making you alive in Christ. So let's stand. Let's sing the song and uh, sing it with a sense of, of prayer. Uh, sing it with a sense of releasing things to Christ uh, for his work to be happening in your life. To the world you created, trading your crown for a cross. You willingly died, your innocent life paid the cost. Counting your status as nothing, the King of all kings came to serve. Washing my feet, covering me with your love. If more of you means less of me, take everything. Yes, all of you is all I need, take everything. treasure the one that I can't live without here at your feet my desires and dreams I lay down 
here at your feet my, my desires, desires and, and dreams I lay down Say more If more of you means less of me pray that you would have free access to the vases of our lives. I pray that your Holy Spirit would animate and enlighten us to what needs to be pushed out of our vase through your work, the glorious work of the Father, the redemption of the Son, the activating work of the Holy Spirit, for that to be poured into our lives, to be poured into our vases, and for that which is less than glorious, less than honoring to you, to be pushed out. May we not strive to do that by our own effort. May it be the result of our faith and belief in your truth. We ask that in the name of Jesus, our Savior, and everyone who agreed said, amen, amen. amen. 
Our prayer team is down here to the right. We'd love to pray with you. God bless and have a great afternoon.